0: When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he began to speak, and he taught them. Would you please pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Jesus sees the crowds. He sees them. The, the rest of Matthew's gospel will describe times where Jesus looks out at the crowds with compassion, that Jesus feels sorrow for the crowds. But here, all we read is that he sees them. He really sees them. Sight is a prevailing theme in Scripture. It's a prevailing theme in a lot of the hymns that we sing. To see is to know, to be seen is to be known. Vision breaks through in the gospel as the disciples and the crowds, they start to see what is really going on. And Jesus, seeing the crowd, chooses to sit down and preach. We are good, I think, we moderns, at hiding the truth of who we are from ourselves and from other people. We can put on a mask for an hour when we're at church on Sunday morning. We can post all the right pictures on social media. We can present whatever version of ourselves we want when the truth is that Jesus knows us even better than we know ourselves. And when Jesus sees the crowds, when Jesus sees us, he chooses to preach. Notably in Exodus, Moses is called to the top of the mountain to receive a word from the Lord and to share it with God's people. But Moses is the only one allowed on the mountain. No one but Moses, except here, Jesus goes on the mountain to receive something, to share something, and he does not go alone. The crowds, they come with him. Moses was the mediator of God's word. Jesus is the mediation himself. The crowds are invited to encounter this holiness that's sitting right in front of them, and he chooses to deliver it to them as a sermon. It is a bit odd, I think, all things considered, uh, Jesus' sermon, He apparently skipped out on preaching 101. He didn't take that class when he went to seminary. You're supposed to start a sermon with a winsome anecdote. Then you're supposed to present three points to your sermon, and then you're supposed to conclude it together with a call to action. Now, Jesus skipped that class. He played hooky in seminary. Jesus instead decides to begin his sermon with a list of blessings. I think one of the challenges with preparing a sermon on the Sermon on the Mount is how in the world do you do that without just repeating what Jesus said. And even that sentence betrays the beguiling nature of the sermon because Jesus doesn't just say these things, he preaches them. They are God's words for God's people. They are God's words for us. And Jesus's sermon, what he preaches, it can't help but become another law, another thing we're supposed to do if what we proclaim is abstracted from the one who proclaims it. Now, what in the world does that mean? It's all too easy in life to take something someone says and apply it however we see fit, to take any quote we want and apply it anywhere. But with Jesus, you can't take what he said without considering the one who said it. In other words, The Sermon on the Mount is Jesus' interpretation of his own life. You have to know Jesus if you want to know what it is he's saying. And importantly, this is a sermon that's not addressed to individuals. This is not a sermon for individuals. This isn't, Tommy, pay attention, I wrote this one just for you. This isn't, hey, Ronnie, I know you got that encouragement during the children's message, but I've got a word from the Lord for you today. Now, this is a sermon addressed to the crowds. The the grammar here, it's not the second person singular, it's the second person plural. It's the difference between saying you specifically, and as we like to say in Roanoke, y'all. This is a y'all sermon. This is for everybody. And that difference makes a big difference. Because this sermon doesn't teach me how to be a Christian, it teaches us how to be the church. Because no one can live according to this sermon by themselves. And that's the point. What Jesus preaches, it requires us to rely and be dependent on God and on each other. In many ways, this so-called Sermon on the Mount is Jesus's declaration of dependence. And yet, Jesus doesn't command us to live this way. He doesn't preach the Beatitudes to so we'll go home and try to be meeker or hungrier or poorer, which is a challenge for us because it's even in the name. Be attitude. It's like you're saying be and behave like this, but that's not what's going on. The beatitudes are descriptive. They're not prescriptive. Basically, Jesus seems to be saying that with the wild and wondrous thing we call the kingdom of heaven, we should not be surprised if we find people in our midst who are already poor in spirit, who are already meek, and who are already mourning. Everything Jesus says here in the Beatitudes, it's so contrary to everything we're taught in the world. The world emphasizes the rich, and the happy, and the bold, and the full, and the fair, and those who are willing to do whatever it takes to win, But Jesus says, actually, the opposite is true. And then he does it all in the present tense. It's not, blessed are you who are poor in spirit in the future. It's, blessed are you who are poor right now. Which means, despite all of the evidence to the contrary, if our lives feel like a mess, then it means we're blessed. Now, given the priorities of the world, we do not usually consider those who are poor in spirit or meek or mourning to be blessed In fact, we usually think they're cursed. And yet Jesus says they are blessed because without them, the church cannot be the church. Discipleship teaches us that we are dependent on those Jesus called blessed because they remind us of the truth. Again, they're in stark contradiction to everything we're taught from the time we're babies. Jesus is basically saying, you can give up all methods of self-transformation because I'm here, and by being here, you are already different. The Beatitudes are a creed, they're a confession, that though things are not as they ought to be, though we are not as we ought to be, Jesus shows up in our weakness, in our wanderings, in our failures, in our faults. Take it from this preacher, I find it very difficult to preach a sermon on the Sermon on the Mount. It's much easier to preach a sermon on a parable or a narrative or even a psalm. Preachers like me can take those words, we can polish them up a little bit, we can tinker with them, and then we can present them to our congregations on Sunday morning, smiling the whole while for 15 minutes of educational opportunities based on the strange new world of the Bible, but not with the Sermon on the Mount. Because how in the world do you preach a better sermon than the one Jesus preached? So I'd like to preach you Jesus' sermon albeit I've added some flourishes of my own. Blessed are those whose lives feel like an absolute mess, those who didn't get into the right college, who didn't get the right job, who didn't marry the right spouse, those who forget to pack the healthy lunch every morning, those who sneak the forbidden extra chocolate chip cookie in the afternoon, those who don't return their text messages as soon as they get them, those who do not return their phone calls as soon as they get them because they are released from the burden of ledger keeping. Blessed are those whose lives are filled with uncertainty, who remain largely confused about what has happened, is happening, and will happen, because they get to delight in the thing we call curiosity and wonder. Blessed are the humiliated. There's no such thing as humility without humiliation. Thank you for that, Judy Dickerson, earlier in the service. Blessed are those who have failed because they have been relieved of the burden of self-justification, the great enemy of grace. Blessed are those who have experienced loss and brokenness because they have known the gift of love. And cracks are where the light gets in. Blessed are those who have sat through more funerals than they can count, who have lost track of who they're supposed to be praying for and for what, because they have been firmly planted in reality, which is the dwelling place of God, who comes to be in the muck and the mire with us. Blessed are those who can't seem to move on from grief, whose tears can fill an ocean because they know they need others to help them through. Blessed are the last, the least, the lost, the little, the overlooked, the DMV worker who feels nothing but complaint after complaint. The resident in the retirement home who can't remember the last time she got a phone call from someone she loved. The family that's waiting in line for a warm meal at the rescue mission. The student who retreats into books where their only real friends seem to reside, for they are seen by God, whose vision restores dignity and worth. Blessed are those who lay awake at night afraid of what tomorrow will bring. Those who are overwhelmed with every new story on the nightly news because Jesus spent all of his time with people just like that. Blessed are those whose anxieties overwhelm, who can barely muster the strength to make it through a day, for only those in need of help will be helped. Blessed are those who know not is as it should be, those who yearn for things not yet seen, because yearning is what we call hope, and hope does not disappoint. Blessed are those who don't insist on getting what they deserve, because otherwise... They might just get it. Blessed are those who refuse to condemn others for what they do or leave undone because they understand the parable of the publican and the Pharisee. Blessed are those who suffer for the sake of peace because they already live according to the terms of the kingdom. Blessed are those who are mocked, hated, belittled and beleaguered for their faith because they rest in the shadow of the cross. Blessed are the forgivers because there's nothing better in this life. And blessed are those who are forgiven because they have nothing left to hide. Jesus sees the crowds. Jesus sees you. And Jesus chooses to preach. He proclaims these words for you in some way because he knows they are what you need to hear. And yet preachers, as Karl Barth noted, dare to preach about God Sermons aren't about us, they're about God. There is a comfort, a strange comfort in these blessings from Jesus. We receive them as a proclamation, knowing that they tell us about who we are, but they tell us about whose we are, and the whose is important. Because the Beatitudes, as much as they convey the reality of our own existence, they also tell us about God. The Sermon on a Mount is a sermon Jesus preaches about himself. The rest of the gospel will prove it. Jesus is poor in spirit when he prays in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus mourns the death of his friend Lazarus. Jesus meekly feeds the 5,000 and comforts the afflicted. Jesus hungers for righteousness when he flips over all the tables in the temple. Jesus is pure in heart in his willingness to reach out to the last, the least, the lost, the little, and the dead. Jesus brings forth peace in the bread and in the cup. Jesus is persecuted, killed, and locked up, forsaken in a tomb. And then three days later, God gives him back to us. Jesus is God's beatitude for us. Jesus is God's blessing to the weak in a world that only admires the strong. Jesus is our blessing right here, right now. So you might not feel it, You might not even believe it, but take it from a preacher far greater than the one standing in front of you. No matter what you have going on in your life, you are blessed. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen.